How inclusive would you say your company is? How diverse is it? One of the things I've learned is that you can't be a diverse organization unless you're inclusive. So what that looks like is you can recruit and recruit as many diverse candidates as you want, but that doesn't mean they're going to stay and that companies need to take their DEI initiatives and great ideas to then incorporate them into their processes to make them permanent, to fuel a culture of belonging. There's so much to learn regarding diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. It can be very overwhelming. I try to keep up with reports coming out all the time. And at Women Offshore, we want to take you on a journey on what we've learned the last several years and the connections we've made that empower us to forge ahead and create change within the maritime and offshore energy industries. And so what that looks like is coming up on August 3rd, we're going to have what's called the Women Offshore Inclusion Summit. This is going to be a virtual event. It's going to be about a half day on August 3rd. And you're going to hear from consultants who know how to take those great ideas from your committees, from your fleet, from anyone, and incorporate them into processes to drive change within your organization and help create an inclusive culture. So that when you recruit diverse candidates, you have that part that matters so much called inclusion to help retain them. I'm really looking forward to this event and I hope you will join us. Again, it'll be August 3rd. Save the date. More details will be available soon. And today's episode will give you a taste of what to expect. Today, we have a consultant with us from BCG. She's going to share her big report that came out called Untapped Reserves 2.0 that evaluated 50 companies in the oil and gas industry. And I think you'll learn a lot from her. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. This episode of the Women Offshore podcast is sponsored by Technip FMC. Technip FMC is a leading technology provider to the traditional and new energies industry, delivering fully integrated products, projects, and services. At Technip FMC, they create an inclusive culture where all employees can draw on their unique experiences and backgrounds together to ignite diversity of thought that sparks solutions for all employees, customers, clients, and communities. Technip FMC is proud of their commitment to inclusion and diversity as it is the heart of their core values. Thank you, Technip FMC, for sponsoring the show and for also sponsoring our industry mixer with OGGN honoring International Women's Day. We are thankful for your support here at Women Offshore. The Women Offshore podcast is a part of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Thanks to OGGN for all of their support of Women Offshore. This show would not be possible without them. Back in 2017, the World Petroleum Council, known as WPC, and the Boston Consulting Group decided to collaborate on what's going on in oil and gas regarding gender balance. 
they've now released two reports and their most recent report came out in 2021. This report is full of gold nuggets and it's something that I have been glued to for hours at a time, reading and understanding what's been going on in oil and gas because there are a lot of maritime assets that fall into oil and gas. There are a lot of women within our community in the upstream market and this report covers upstream. In charge of this project has been Andrea Ospi. She is a managing director and partner at BCG, focused on leadership development and sustained performance improvement. She's been with the company for over 15 years. As you will soon tell, she is very passionate about this subject and creating change within the energy industry. I actually interviewed Andrea recently, so I'm going to play that interview for you now. If you're interested in learning more about her most recent report or the one before, we'll have links in the show notes for you to go read those. There's lots of really great graphics and case studies and just so much to learn from. So I hope you'll enjoy this interview as much as I did and get a lot out of it to take back to your organization. Before I play it, I would just want to say a big thank you to BCG and the WPC for doing this. It means so much to my organization, Women Offshore, that you've taken on this study and that you'll continue to do it every couple of years. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, Andrea, to the Women Offshore podcast. Thanks, Allie. So happy to be here. Really a pleasure. Yeah, I am excited for this interview. I have been wanting to speak to you for a really long time. You are behind this huge study. So let's dive into the questions. Your report examined 50 oil and gas companies, many international. Could findings from your report be applied to companies outside of the oil and gas industry, such as maritime companies? Absolutely. As you mentioned, this study focused on oil and gas companies and its IOCs, NOCs, and some services companies. But really, it's about gender diversity in the workplace and in some tough workplaces. So the learnings are absolutely transferable elsewhere. Good. I like the sound of that. I would love to see more maritime companies get on board, companies with maritime assets be involved and see more data coming out of that and hear that the study can be applied Hopefully, companies who are listening in can take the lessons learned from this report. Okay, so the number of women in oil and gas has stayed the same the last several years, yet DNI policies and programs have increased. Can you explain that? Because it seems like I would expect the opposite, you know, more women if there's more DNI policies. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic question. So, just going back to the data, and you cited this perfectly, what we found in the 2017 report, which was the first report, was there were 22% of the workforce was represented by women in oil and gas. It was exactly the same number when we did this report in 2021. That is not a good message and not good news and certainly not what the industry was hoping for. But as you also called out, there are some signs of optimism and things to be hopeful about. And one of those things is there actually has been quite a lot of progress in terms of think the attention the topic is getting, and also just the progress the industry is making on some things that we know are really helpful in terms of supporting and promoting gender diversity. So the way that we looked at that was kind of across five dimensions. So one is visible leadership. So 
truly is there a commitment, a visible commitment at the most senior level within a company that diversity is important, that turns out to be quite important in terms of how the rest of the employee base feels about it. We also looked at, I'll call them practices and kind of an operating model across a woman's career life cycle. So across attracting them in, so recruiting, retention, keeping them in the company and keeping them in the workforce for hopefully decades, and then advancement. So this is just promotion up the ranks. We looked at mechanisms, policies, programs, changes to the way people do business across those dimensions. Those also improved quite a bit. The last piece is foundational policies and programs. So these are truly things like, you know, making sure you've got table stakes policies in place, including things like anti-harassment and anti-sexual harassment policies. It sounds very basic, but not every company has those yet. It also includes things like parental leave, for example, just things that we know do have an important impact on the workforce broadly, but for women in particular. What we saw across those five dimensions over the last four-year period was a big jump up across oil and gas companies. So in that visible leadership space that I talked about, in 2017, only a third of our survey participants could really stand behind that and say that they did have leadership at the top ranks publicly committing to diversity as a priority and in some cases goals. By the time we get to 2021, 76% of companies were exhibiting that behavior and that commitment. If we look at the recruiting or attracting women in dimension, in 2017, only 20% of companies were in our survey were reporting that they were doing anything differently or focused on recruiting more women into the industry. By the time we get to 2021, it was at 68%. So I give a little bit of that data just to make sure people do recognize that this topic is getting attention and there is being progress made. Now, to your point, you know, the proof is not there yet in terms of the overall representation. I think what we're seeing there, and this is a hypothesis of mine, we don't have data around this specific point, but my hypothesis there is everyone understands that diversity in the workforce is not just the right thing to do, but it gets better outcomes. And so we are competing with a much more evolved broad workforce. I mean, what we saw in the same four-year period was certain industries actually gained women while oil and gas stayed flat. A couple lost women, it's even worse, but others gained. So one point that I heard or one question I heard quite a bit when we first shared the study was, oh, this is COVID related. That's why we're not making gains. And my pushback there is, no, we're not seeing that in terms of the data. We're seeing other industries really compete strongly for this group of talent, this incredibly important group of talent. And they're winning. And so my hypothesis is, while it's great that oil and gas companies are really pushing on some of these things that we know make a difference, they're still playing catch up. And while we're playing catch up, other industries are being more aggressive and perhaps more provocative and leading the way. So if anything, I guess my summary message would be, it's important, but it's also urgent because the longer it goes on, the further behind you end up falling, even if you're doing good things. I kind of thought it had to do with COVID too when I was writing out this question and trying to figure out an answer at the same time. I kind of just blamed COVID. But that's good to know that women are finding opportunities out there. Like to see it happen more related to offshore. But yeah, for certain industries to be pushing the frontier forward, yeah, oil and gas needs to catch up and we don't want it to fall behind further. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So the report runs us through five challenges that require urgent attention in order to move the needle for a more diverse workforce. Can you run us through those challenges and what did you find out? 
Absolutely. So the five challenges that we identified, and unfortunately, I don't think these will be surprising to the folks that are listening in, but hopefully create some more passion to move the needle. You know, one was really on low uptake of existing DNI policies. So about half of our survey respondents said they don't use their company's DNI policies and programs. Some people thought it was just too much effort. Also, we heard quite a bit of feedback that even though there were policies in place, people didn't feel able to take advantage of them unless their supervisor was also from a diverse group. This really points to you know, the difference between mechanisms, policies, procedures, et cetera, but then the culture you put around it and really closing that gap. So, you know, back to some of the other points that we just talked about, you can put all of the right policies and procedures in place, but if people don't feel comfortable taking advantage of them or feel like they're going to be looked down upon for doing so, you know, there's not going to be the uptake and then the intended benefit, you know, doesn't end up happening as expected. So low uptake was number one. Two is around persistent unconscious biases around gender-related challenges. So really interesting data from the study. One thing that we looked at in both 2017 and 2021 was the difference between how men perceived women's career challenges and the way that women perceived their own career challenges. I'm paraphrasing the data a bit, but in general, and is reflected in the 2017 data, men are more likely to cite things like lack of the talent pool, so they don't have enough to choose from with the right capability, or lack of willingness to take on some of these different opportunities. Women are much more likely to say, you know, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm not given the chance to take these opportunities, and I'm not being given the you know, visibility to them or the leadership support around them. What we saw in 2021 was more convergence on these topics. So there seems to be a better understanding from men around the challenges that women face. But still, if we look at what men think versus what women think, there is a disconnect. If most of the leaders are men and those men are the ones making decisions around diversity and inclusion policies and actions to be taken, and if they are disconnected from what women say really matters to them, that disconnect potentially exacerbates the problem. So that unconscious bias is really important in terms of just resolving so that we put in place the things that matter and make a difference for women versus assuming we know what they are and inadvertently doing the wrong things. Yeah. Oh, I just think about so many male supervisors I've had, mostly male supervisors, and for them to make assumptions of what they think women want or need or whatever in the workplace, and it doesn't reflect the women's needs that, you know, the women they're supervising there can be a huge disconnect. And then when a woman wants to speak up, she might not feel supported. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're spot on, spot on. And the assumptions piece is really important, right? I mean, I think that the general message there is never assume you know what is going to work for somebody else's life or career. But unfortunately, quite a lot of that still happens. There's generally still an underrepresentation of women in entry-level jobs and in technical and operations roles and expat roles. So despite the fact that 44% of male and female STEM graduates and young professionals indicate an interest in working in oil and gas, women only get about a quarter of the industry's entry-level positions. So there is a population of women with the right background and interest. For whatever reason or reasons, oil and gas is not getting what I would call their fair share of talent there. When we do get talent into the industry, 
We're now not seeing the women in the technical and operational roles. And as I mentioned, expat roles, which are really critical in most oil and gas companies for ascending up the ranks, right? And I think representing a group of women who works offshore, I mean, this is perfectly relevant for this team, but those roles, those really operational technical roles are really important. They're historically incredibly important in oil and gas firms for promotion. And if we're seeing fewer women in those roles at the more junior or mid-level career steps, you're not going to see them in senior roles. And that's the last challenge, which again, not surprising, but there's still low female representation in senior roles and leadership. So the proportion of women in senior level decision-making positions is half of women in mid-level positions. This is across both business and operational and technical roles. So that's an average number. But the point is, even if we get women in, we are not keeping them throughout their career life cycle. Therefore, you know, they're not staying long enough to get promoted up through the ranks in the company and get to senior leadership positions. And we know how important it is to see visible role models in those more senior levels. So when that doesn't happen, it affects the entire chain and network of folks behind it. So really, I would say, you know, consistent challenges across recruitment, retention and advancement, but still we're not getting our fair share of the talent across the board is the summary point, unfortunately. Yeah. For you to define those challenges, it's so important. Touching on the last one and having female leadership, I've seen the power of that, having the female perspective at the table and how a woman who has authority can advocate for the women who don't have authority. And so seeing how that works, like when a woman, say, comes to a vice president and says, hey, I could really use this benefit in our insurance plan, for example. Maybe it's IVF planning or family planning or something along those lines. That decision maker can then take it to the other decision makers and be that voice and implement it. And it's probably something that the men hadn't thought about because they didn't need it. So having that leadership at the top is just so important for a lot of reasons. I wanted to touch on that a little further. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better. I think it's really important to have that role modeling. It's really important across, whether it's gender diversity or other diverse groups too, it's really important to see people like you, whoever you are in leadership roles and they're, and just understanding and empathizing with different situations and different backgrounds from which we all come. And also normalizing things too. I mean, you mentioned IVF and family planning, for example, which are absolutely, you know, benefits and policies that can be put in place that help women. Having those is one step. Knowing women in your company who have leveraged them and where you can go to talk about it, get help, you know, tips in terms of how to manage all of those types of things, just normalizing things that are normal. They're normal for half the population. We just don't talk about it, especially in a professional context. Incredibly important. And it's, you don't think to do that if you don't have those role models around you. And then to your point, it is different than just talking to friends, right? When you're in a position of power and you are a decision maker and you can influence the outcome and you can influence how people think in a company, you want to make sure that those viewpoints and those perspectives are understood and shared. One of the things that I've been seeing a lot talking with executives is that they'll have a policy in place. So let's say sexual assault and sexual harassment, which is something you touched on earlier. So they throw this policy into one of their manuals, probably the HR manual, and then there's no communication around it. People don't really know where to find it. They don't even know it exists. 
And there seems to be this huge disconnect between reality and the policy and the intention behind the policy. And I explained that just because you have a policy in place doesn't mean that it has affected the culture on board your vessels. When we look at ships, culture is fluid. It depends on who's on board. And often that's determined by the leadership, what kind of culture there is. So, you know, when a company has these policies and they put it out there, can you talk at all about how to ensure that they're effective and that reality meets what the policy's intention was set to do? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic point and it unfortunately remains a challenge. I mean, the way, and this is my personal view based on some other work that I do, I think the way to really make it stick and make people believe it is to make sure there's some accountability around it. So I know there's some frustration I've heard from different leaders or companies who have said, hey, we're taking this topic really seriously. We're doing all the things. We're checking all the boxes. And you kind of go back to, it's not about checking the boxes, right? That's table stakes. And now you have to behave in a way that creates an environment that actually supports what those policies were intended to support. What's behind that, I think, is consequences, right? Consequences drive behavior and consequences can be good and bad, right? So it doesn't mean it has to be a penalty, but people who are culture carriers and exhibit the behaviors that you want to see, especially around inclusivity, around diverse groups, or, you know, take action. They don't just sit in a training, but they take action when they see sexual harassment, Those are the people you really want to elevate and promote. And you want to make sure that those examples of those behaviors are also elevated. On the flip side, of course, consequences can also be negative, but you have to take action on the other side, right? If you see somebody acting counter to what you stand for as a company, you've got to take action on that too. And it's tough, but there needs to be action and it needs to be visible. And I do think that translation of, or the merging of check the box. Yes, you've got a table stake in place, but also You also have to behave appropriately around that and support it in your actions and your leadership decisions. Sometimes those things don't happen. And it's, I don't think it's because there's malintent. It's because taking action on those types of things, it's hard. And especially if you're in a place where, you know, for example, sexual harassment policies or a strong stance against is a new thing. We assume it's not a new thing, but it is a new thing in some places, unfortunately. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Very unfortunate, right? If it's new and you're the first leader to really champion that and take a stand and make, you know, make a statement either in support of somebody who upheld that policy or make visible that there were some consequences when it wasn't upheld, that's also hard, right? You're asking leaders to step out. Now, good leaders do that. Value-based leadership is important, but we're asking individuals to get a little uncomfortable and take some risk. But that's what I think what it takes to make sure that people feel like, you know, it's not just, I don't know, lipstick on a pig for lack of a better way to say it. It's meaningful and it's part of the culture going forward. And it's part of how, you know, people will be treated today and tomorrow. In your analysis, is there anything you learned that was specific to upstream companies? Perhaps there was something notable regarding diversity and inclusion related to offshore? Nothing specific to offshore. We just didn't have the depth of data in that specific dimension. That is something that we're looking through for the next version of this report, which will be in two years. There's a few changes that we have in mind that we're still working through, but given the interest in this and just that the insights are more useful when they're more targeted, I'm hoping we'll be able to get more targeted data on that front going forward. One thing maybe to call out, it's another interesting point, but I think quite important for the story overall and is reflective of upstream 
you know, we noticed a difference in the challenges across a woman's employee life cycle, whether you were in a business role or a technical role. And what we saw was if you are in a more business or administrative role, from a recruiting perspective, 39% of business and administrative roles are female coming in. That drops precipitously down to 14% by the time you get to senior levels. Wow. Very interesting. Not a good trend, right? But it really indicates on the recruiting side, doing okay, right? I would still say 39% is still not getting all of the talent share that we want, but it's better than it is on the technical side. But we dropped down to 14% at the senior leadership level. For technical and operational roles, we only get 10% coming in, which is terrible. And that basically remains flat. And so by the time you get to an executive level, we're seeing the same number, 10% senior positions are held by women. The reason I call that out is, you know, oil and gas as an industry is going to need women in all of these leadership roles. The challenges are different, whether it's you're in business and administrative type roles, or you're in more technical. On the business administrative side, these companies need to figure out how to keep women engaged throughout that life cycle, right? So we're getting our fair share coming in or close to it. We're losing them throughout. That indicates an issue around retention and perhaps Mm -hmm. advancement. On the technical side, we're seeing something different. We have no chance to have the you know, diversity we want at senior ranks because we don't get it at even junior levels. And that indicates a different issue, which is more about recruitment. So I just call that out because, again, we don't have the deep dive into offshore, unfortunately. But I do think that the solutions and the interventions need to be focused on the what problem you're trying to solve. And if we look too broad, right, if we look at the 22% number, it's impossible to move. There's so much behind that. But if you can start breaking it into whether it's offshore or as I did it, business and administrative and technical roles, at least you can use the data to get a better pinpoint of what the real issue is and where you should focus. I do see some companies fall into the trap of thinking about women in industry broadly and maybe focus heavily on recruiting and sort of nothing else. If recruiting is not your issue, which at least on the business and administrative side, it's not, you're focusing in the wrong place. And that's important. That's really important reason to use data, but also why the study is useful. We can see it across industry and really glean insights that hopefully will help people be more targeted. Yeah, really great points. I'm learning so much from you today and would really love to support your next study to provide you with data around diversity offshore and get our corporate members involved supporting your study. So, But the way you worded all that, there is a lot of information and what you have put out there for upstream companies, maritime companies to look at for these technical roles. We will absolutely be doing another study. It will evolve as it should. And we would love to just increase participation and relevance. So I will take you up on that and take input from anybody who wants to be involved. We'd love to expand. Great. Thank you. So we'll, of course, put a link in the show notes to your studies, your studies, so people can go and read the previous ones, see the great graphics that you have, and take a deep dive into the data. You have a great tool in your report for assessing and advancing DNI maturity. What is that and how should companies use it? Yeah, we have a tool. We call it the Diversity Inclusion Maturity Assessment Framework. It covers 12 key aspects driving diversity in line with our overall framework of five topic areas, which we talked about before. It can be a really powerful tool to start just having candid conversations about where are we today and where do we want to be in one, three, five years from now. When pairing these ambitions with the more quantified set of internal metrics, you can start to track progress and, and progress diversity just like you would any other business performance metric. 
the way you use this tool is, as I said, have a conversation about what you want to accomplish and where you are. You can actually plot yourself as a company on this framework. And the way that it works is for every dimension, we've laid out examples of what are kind of table stakes, diversity interventions versus what are really much more forward-leaning, progressive interventions that we've seen. It's useful to work with leadership teams so they can see maybe where they sit today, which for many oil and gas companies is on the more table stakes kind of side of the framework and talk about where they're at, what their aspirations are and should be going forward. But then specifically, what ideas can they glean from the framework to put in place to push themselves more to the right-hand side, which is a lot more progressive. So really the intent is open dialogue, examples and learnings from other companies so that people can see, you know, what does good like look like? What is a progressive action in terms of, you know, leadership support versus more table stake intervention and have some real conversations about true action versus just concepts. Yeah, that's great. And again, we'll put a link to that. And uh, thanks for explaining the tool. I've taken a look at it and can see how valuable it is. So Thanks for coming on the show, Andrea. I love how you and WPC have committed to this report every three years. We look forward to reading your next report. Is there anything else you would like to share with us? Yeah. One, thanks again. Really excited to be able to share this. Really important that we have groups like the one listening to this podcast, really engaging in this topic and driving the change day to day, as hopefully we are all are doing. Maybe just a few closing comments. You know, one point just to come back to, I mentioned urgency earlier. The time to act is now. It's an imperative for the sector to drive performance and to respond to the rapidly escalating pace of change that the sector is facing on multiple fronts. I mentioned earlier, diversity and inclusion broadly, not just for women, but truly a diverse workforce is critical for business performance. Diverse teams drive innovation and it's just the right thing to do, but it's quite urgent, especially in this industry. In terms of what you can do, I ask that each of you just make this more than talk. Visible leadership's important, but it's only real when it's backed up with real and sustained action. The workforce can tell the difference between lip service paid on International Women's Day, for example, versus real commitment. So figure out what that real commitment looks like for you and your peers and your company, if you can influence it and really push action and true commitment versus lip service. I think the last point I'll call out, we talked a little bit about assumptions, but last point, don't assume you know the answers about what diverse populations in the workforce need. And this is more coaching for maybe your managers or or whoever you're working with or supervisors, but push them to not make assumptions about you, push them to not make assumptions about others. As we talked about, putting programs in place is not enough. 50% of the people don't take advantage of them for the reason, these programs and policies for the reasons we talked about earlier. Taking the next steps to advance this really requires active dialogue and you really need to be seen as seeking to understand and the challenges, the underlying needs, being open to input and involvement from the people that this is going to impact. So as much as you can on the ground level, really push that. Yeah, I think just be culture carriers and drivers of change just day to day. It does make a difference. We are collectively making progress, but we absolutely have quite a ways to go. And it will take an army of passionate women to lead this charge, right? And help others see what is needed and how they can change too. So anyway, I would just say take action, take leadership roles and do it now if you can. Yeah, I love it. That's a great way to end this podcast episode. Andrea, thank you for all of your hard work and leading this charge. Like, 
I just am floored that I got to speak with you and learn so much from you. And again, can't wait for the next report. And thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Allie. Such a pleasure for my side. And as you can tell, I'm passionate about the topic. So I'm happy to help however I can and just excited to be able to talk with you and be a part of this conversation with everyone who's listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you want to propel Women Offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll talk to you soon.